Hello, I'm a radio reporter for uh, the public broadcaster Radio Slovenia, Uroš Vok, and I mostly do handball and biathlon. Hello, I'm David Naert, and welcome to the Eurovision Sport Radio Podcast. As 2021 gets underway, our sporting attention is directed towards Egypt for the IHF Men's Handball World Championships. A number of EBU members are on site, living inside the bubble that has been formed to protect the players and their entourage. Our producer Mickey Curling caught up with Uroš Volk from Val 202 in Slovenia to learn more about the man living inside the Egyptian bubble. Can you explain where you are right now? Where are we talking to you from? Uh, oh, I'm uh, calling actually from Cairo Stadium, which is the biggest hall uh, in the capital of Egypt. Uh, the hall that could uh, put in uh, 17,000 people, but it's empty because of COVID measures. Uh, and we are in the middle uh, at World Handball Championship. I think we're all used to it by now, but w what's it like covering a competition without the fans in the stadium? Not fun at all. Uh, I was hoping because the whole season has been like this also in the club competitions that I was covering the Champions League. Uh, that I won't be hearing just uh, the sounds of the of the sports shoes on the court. Uh, I was hoping for some fans. They wanted some fans. They tried to get them inside. The last uh, informations just a couple of days before um, the start of the tournament was that it will be about 20% of capacity of the halls. And then after a lot of protests, especially from Europe, uh, because all of the best players uh, come from Europe and the teams as well. Um, they uh, dismissed that wish and then they said that no uh, people will be around and it's uh, a bit uh, sad to watch the, the empty stands, but uh, the teams, I think they are already used to it and uh, the fight is still uh, with a lot of heat on the court. What's it like to commentate when there's no cheering behind you? Because obviously you're going to shout and you're going to scream and you're going you're gonna to get excited, but it, it must be strange. Yeah, you, you, you need uh, more time to warm up um, as the game is uh, obviously uh, in two half times, then the second half time is usually more important, but uh, sometimes a lot of things happen as well in the first uh, half time and uh, you need some time to warm up. Actually, there was only one match of Slovenia uh, at this tournament that I needed to shout a little bit that I was uh, in, in, in the moment that I, that I caught the moment of the game and that was uh, uh, we needed to win that match to have some chances to, to move to the quarterfinals and we did it. Uh, uh, we were behind six goals and in the first half. It was not looking good and then in the second half uh, it was uh, turning around and that was the moment. And you don't uh, mind that there is no people around, uh, you just forget it. Obviously it's not just the lack of fans that makes this different. You guys are all staying within a bubble, so it's the players, it's the, the commentators, everybody working at, at the event. What's it like being in the bubble? And explain it to me how it works. <laughs> Well, we are basically locked down in a hotel. Um, we are lucky enough that the hotel is big enough. Uh, in the first part, when, we, when I was staying in Alexandria, it was uh, actually a tourist resort. 
uh, with its uh, private beach. It was more fun. You could walk uh, around a little bit just to get to the seaside. But here in Cairo, we are in the city center near uh, Nile River. I think it's very close to Zamalek Street, so it's um, a bit crowdy. Um, and the garden is about 100 meters. Uh, you can walk maybe around it. Um, it's not fun. We, we, we mostly stick to our rooms. Uh, you could see that the whole situation uh, also impacted on the people's behavior. Um, we, we are uh, we bit stick to ourselves, I, I believe. Uh, we, we, we look for, for context, to, for conversation, but we still have, I don't know, uh, some kind of fear. Most of the people have it, and uh, uh, even though we are in the bubble, um, safe let's let's say uh, it's 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 not uh, what i was expecting and uh, what i wanted so let's hear from a couple of your colleagues who are also living life in the bubble let's first of all hear from nuno from rtp portugal and then arno from rmc in france working here has been life uh, changing experience we are currently going through extremely difficult times thanks to the pandemic. I spend my entire days located in the hotel and only live to go watch Portugal's matches. When I am confined in my room, I edit all the material collected from the reports. I get a PCR test every 72 hours at the hotel. So for now I think it's negative, but we don't have a, a paper of the results, so I presume I'm, uh, I'm negative. I don't find um, the mission boring and we have a lot to do because when the France uh, is not playing, uh, I have virtual press conference with the players and the staff, or I can go to the French players hotel I've done this once uh, I just ask uh, the reception at the local organizing committee to have a, a van or a car and I can go meet the, the players physically which is very important because RMC my radio is doing a, a great job for bringing me here in Egypt this is not the case of all the, the French media so I'm glad for this, and uh, it's uh, a weird mission, but a good mission to uh, start 2021. A weird mission to start through 2021. He talked about uh, access to the players. How's that been for you? Uh, I must say I'm lucky. In both bubbles that I stayed, so in Alexandria and now in Cairo, I'm in the same hotel. Our federation is, I think, more relaxed about it. A lot of players already went through COVID situation in, in uh, late fall or in uh, early January. So um, there is less fear maybe uh, to get infected and to get more contacts. They do keep uh, foreign media a bit uh, apart, but uh, as we are only two people from Slovenia, two journalists, so one from TV, uh, and me, uh, they, they let us uh, have the, the, the personal contacts with, with the players, so it's, uh, that is uh, really good. Otherwise, it would be <laughs> uh, unimaginable. 
how does the uh, mix zone work? Because, of course, we're used to the mix zone being a bit of a scrum. How, how has that been working for you after the matches? They have uh, interesting solutions. You actually walk through the same gate to the mix zone to, uh, with the players. So if you, you can actually, uh, I don't know, uh, walk with them to there and then just uh, go behind the, the, the fence. I, w I, I, I was prepared, I took the stick uh, that I could be more apart uh, from the players, but rarely they uh, use it. Actually, Egyptian press uh, uh, are very close to the players uh, when interviewing, and it's not a crowd at all, you get them right away. Uh, it's actually fun uh, from that part. Well, let's now hear from Arno from RMC about his experiences in the mix zone. After the game, uh, we can uh, interview the players in the mixed zone because we are in the bubble. So it's like uh, normal time, you know, without COVID, we can uh, interview the players, have some time uh, with them. Uh, also the same for the press conference room. So for that, we can uh, work uh, very easily. Last month, I was in uh, Denmark for the women's European Championship and we were not in, in the bubble so no contact with the players or the coach except for a small press conference on match days duration 15 minutes not more so for me this uh, world championship in Egypt it's more easy to work with uh, the mixed zone and uh, the fact that we can uh, interview players after uh, every game So he was talking there about Denmark and, and covering uh, sports in, in Denmark. Is, for you, is this one of your first international sporting events since the pandemic? Um, yes, in this size, uh, of course, because I was only uh, in Zagreb for one match in the Champions League and that had nothing to do with any bubble whatsoever. So this one is the first contact with a, a new sports world order. Asking you personally, how does it feel to be away from home in these uh, strange times? Uh, it, I think my family got used to it. I, I, I got used to having um, January packed with work. Um, every, every year there is a big championship in handball in January. Either uh, one year European championship or the, the next uh, world championship. So it's, it's more of a routine already after 25 years of work. and. Uh, uh, my family ha is having uh, much more difficulties probably without me, but uh, I, I think they, they manage. What was last year like for you guys covering sport back at home? Because, of course, we saw many international sporting events cancelled. At first, uh, we had um, uh, rearranged uh, work in, in, on radio station. So I was uh, moved to the news programme. I read normal news there for, for three weeks and uh, also had some um, anchoring in, on Sundays when we have uh, uh, basically all the time sports from one o'clock until seven o'clock uh, in the afternoon. Uh, but uh, it wasn't called a sports Sunday, it was just a normal Sunday with uh, 
mostly sport uh, topics. Uh, we used to call uh, our sportsmen around Europe, uh, what kind of uh, experience they have with COVID, uh, uh, how is it in, let's say, Spain, in France, in Poland. So we, we, we were in touch with them, uh, having um, information from first hand. Uh, then it was uh, also, uh, I worked with Marco Sivak from, from Radio Croatia, because in Zagreb there was an earthquake. Uh, and basically we, we, we tried to work everything from home, uh, if it didn't work out, then you, you came to the office, but uh, the office was mostly empty. Talking to your colleagues across Europe, I think there was this idea that sports broadcasters, just by the very nature of having to travel as often as you do and having to establish you know, audio IP connections from often difficult circumstances, that there's a resilience that's built into your job. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I believe so. I hope so. I hope uh, the listeners uh, enjoy it. I, I know that there is uh, radio is something special for me. I, I, um, I'm not that old, but uh, uh, I, I still listen the radio on a, on a transistor, so on a normal uh, device. Uh, I, I rarely listen to it over internet. Okay, without asking you how old you are, because I think it's rude to ask you that. Let's. Um no, it's not a problem. I'm 45. <laughs> 45. Okay, similar age to me. Uh, what's your background in sports broadcasting and radio? How did it all begin for you? It actually begins accidentally. I came to Ljubljana. I'm not from uh, from the capital. I'm from a small city in the south, uh, more near to Croatia border. I came to the capital to study journalism, and then my brother asked me. Uh, he saw an ad. Uh, that there is an audition for uh, radio journalists, radio reporters uh, on the national radio uh, for uh, help in uh, sports department before the Atlanta Olympic Games in 96. So it was summer of 95 when I got through the audition. But at that time, uh, I don't know if, if the younger listeners uh, are aware of it, I think we had uh, in our office only, uh, there was no computer, I believe, in 95 in our office. We only have the typewriters. It was uh, the romantic times. Uh, we did a lot of uh, phone coverage with uh, early mobile phones. Uh, and afterwards, it, it got uh, more quicker and more easier to work with computers uh, because you get a lot of data, of course. Um, and uh, I, I believe the, the year 2000 was more or less the year that I enjoyed uh, most at the early years because uh, at first I, I, it was my first handball uh, big event, European Championship in Croatia in January very near to my home uh, town in Rijeka, there was a preliminary round and then uh, I went to cover Paralympics in Sydney and it was uh, one of the most wonderful experiences I had, uh, not just uh, because it was far, far away from home in, uh, in Sydney, Australia, but because it was a great event. So Sydney in 2000, and of course, we're talking to each other at the beginning of 2021. There's, there's 21 years between those two events. What, what are some of your other highlights? Uh, well, the first Olympics I did, uh, it was in uh, Vancouver, 2010. It was the Winter Olympics. We stayed in Whistler. Uh, I did biathlon in Whistler, near Whistler. 
Uh, and then I also did uh, some snowboard events and ski cross events in Cypress Mountain, which is uh, just uh, up uh, the city of Vancouver. I had my own car. We, we did uh, rented a car, uh, our company, our radio station. Uh, so I drove there and it was really bad weather for I, I believe the, the whole competition, it was really foggy, windy and rainy, if you believe it, uh, all uh, together. Uh, so from my commentary posi position, which was uh, situated on uh, the very top of, of uh, this huge stand for 10,000 people, uh, first you have to climb up the hill and then climb up all those stairs uh, up you could not even see the finish line. <laughs> so basically it was uh, a weird experience. Uh, weird also because my editor, n now my editor, that uh, he's a bit younger, uh, he was doing um, interviews on Cypress Hill for that snowboarding. It was raining, uh, foggy and windy, very cold. And I locked. I accidentally locked myself inside uh, inside the commentary position, and he couldn't get inside uh, for about 20 minutes. Uh, I didn't hear anything. I had my headphones up, so it was like banging on the door. Okay. <laughs> this was your boss, though, yeah. Uh, he is now. At that time, he wasn't. <laughs> so I was not. He's a great boss. Uh, but there were there were a lot of. Uh, uh, strange or, or let's say uh, difficult working conditions I did uh, in Pyeongchang as well uh, a couple of years ago at the Winter Olympics so we didn't have a commentating position at all so I mixed uh, with the crowd in, in the arena I took a spot next to the cameras it was actually about 100 meters away from the finish line and I did snowboarding uh, from there I uh, watched the, the, the last hill, I did see the start, I knew with, on which side the Slovenian rider is on and basically it was a, a decision uh, where, uh, where they should have taken a photo finish, it was that close for the finals or for the uh, small finals and I uh, knew it right away that he lost. I mean that, that says so much doesn't it about being present and being there in the venue and that leads me to an interesting uh, point you know obviously you are on site uh, right now okay. in Egypt and you're talking there about being on site uh, covering snowboarding why is it so important for you to be on site and, and not to just be commentating from home I believe that for radio studio commentating is not the thing I think that you have to be on site for TV Maybe as a, as a viewer or as a listener uh, of the commentating for TV commentators, maybe I can uh, watch it and listen to it, but it's still not the same. Uh, maybe people don't know it, but if you're out of information, everyday information uh, of the team, uh, out of contact with them, uh, out of t contact with any kind of uh, environment, the, the, the championship, uh, whatever, uh, in whatever sport is on, then this is not commentating. Back to Egypt now and your 21 years on site covering international sports events. How has the technology changed in that time? 
a lot, as I said, the first they changed technically. Um, we had uh, really huge problems with the mobile connections, as uh, you remember, probably somewhere in the early 2000s. They were not that stable uh, as they are maybe now. I remember then I, that I had a, a basketball game to cover in, in France. Uh, I think it was, it was Cholet. Uh, and the hall was uh, full of um, iron um, pillars. And the connection was really bad and I couldn't do anything. So I had to go out from the hall in the, every 10 minutes. They squeezed me in in the program. <laughs> I did uh, some reporting what happened in last minutes and went back to watch the game and as, as I wasn't in the hall you sometimes lose a lot of information uh, then uh, we try all of a sudden they introduce us to mp3 uh, format how you you can uh, record yourself uh, and then uh, send it over email and that made things much easier you could work off time uh, after uh, the match is over you were not so much in pressure and um, you could do it later maybe and send it to, to Ljubljana to the office to, to somebody to, to edit it into, into the news so now things are, are much easier than they were before. I'll ask you what things have been like for you now today in Egypt, connecting back to your broadcast centre in a moment. But first of all, let's hear the experiences of uh, Per from Swedish Radio and uh, Arno from uh, RMC. Technically, in the arena, everything is fine. Uh, we've had the help that we need so far. And um, uh, I think it's a good commentator stand and... Uh, uh, well, there's nothing to complain about, really. We have uh, a little bit problem with the IP lines of radio commentary. It's a little complicated, but we have a backup solution and the objection technicians are working to make uh, all the things uh, good. Okay, so what's the experience been like for you uh, in Egypt? Uh, it works uh, fine. I was a bit afraid uh, that we would have much more problems because uh, uh, before arrival I, I checked how the internet basically works in, in uh, Egypt and I know it, it's usually very slow but as they promised, they promised uh, faster connections and they delivered. Uh, but actually my, my experience started a little bit different because I was a bit late, uh, maybe more optimistic. Uh, I traveled uh, a day before uh, the first match of Slovenia and as I arrived around, uh, I, I believe, 8 o'clock in the evening to, to uh, Cairo airport, uh, it took me three or four hours to, to be there, to have the PCR test, to wait for the luggage, to get the visa and then uh, also travel to Alexandria which is about I, I believe 300 kilometers away from Cairo I arrived late uh, they didn't give me another PCR test as they should in the hotel they told me to to wake up early in the morning and I had it at nine o'clock and then they said you are going to wait 24 hours for the results and I was stuck in my room for the first Slovenia match oh wow so how did so you manage to watch it what on the local television or yeah, I watch it with Arabic uh, commentary colleague. <laughs> my, my, my boss, uh, he asked me if I want to do it from the room, 
but as uh, we have some problems and some issues with internet in, in Tolip, in that resort uh, in Alexandria, uh, basically if you arrived a little bit late you could not connect to the internet, there were like too many subscribers on and uh, you had to wait. I, I waited a couple of times until three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> okay. I mean, I have to say, hotel internet is not an uncommon problem when you're traveling to sporting events internationally. Uh, another one often is transport. Let's hear from Pear from Swedish Radio. What there is to complain about is the transportation schedule because uh, one bus every day leaving for the arena, one bus going back after all the games, no food in the arena. Uh, well, today you can get a cup of coffee and a bottle of water, but nothing more. Uh, this will be challenge- challenging that, uh, that amount of time without any food without any possibilities to get some food so it would be real good if the restaurant at the hotel would open half an hour or perhaps an hour earlier for lunch so that you could get food before you leave for the arena and um, they have changed the times in the evening which makes it possible to eat when you come back to the arena but that part is the challenging part but uh, when it comes to working conditions when it comes to sport so far so good To be fair to the local organising committee, would you say they have coped really well with trying to stage a competition in these strange times? Yes, of course. We are all. Uh, we, are, we always, when you come to the to a, an event, you want the best. Uh, you want them to serve you <laughs> front and behind. But it's a good event. It's basically no uh, bigger mistakes that they did uh, in. And the sport is um, their priority and the priori- priority of, of the listeners and, and of our and uh, our priority of the commentators. So the sport is good. Everything else it's not interesting for the public, I believe. So you talked earlier about being a traditional radio man. You listen to everything still on the transistor radio. But obviously the world has changed a lot now. I'm sure there are demands on you to create content for social media, to create additional audio content. How does that look for you? What what do you have to do above and beyond just commentating on your matches there? I believe that uh, there there is no actual pressure, but basically on, on, let's say, older uh, reporters for doing a lot of um, social media uh, posts or whatever. I do have a Twitter account, I don't use it. I do have a Facebook account, it's my own. Uh, So I rarely use it for for work. So basically the only thing uh, that changed a little bit is that I uh, said, okay, if there are podcasts that I can do, I will do them about handball. And I started uh, a year ago uh, with a next uh, Slovenian national team player uh, that I knew could talk really good. And we started doing podcasts about handball. It's called Zeppelin. Uh, I, I from Egypt, and he comes to the studio. Okay, let's hear a little tiny bit of your podcast now. Zeppelin, na rokometnem euru 2020. 
Valovski Cepelin danes najbolj čuti nor ritem tega Evropa. So that was a little snap of uh, your podcast there about handball. Now for the rest of the year, it feels probably wrong to talk about this when there are so many headlines about uh, the Olympics right now and, and what's going to be happening. And whatever we say now is probably going to be out of date by the time this podcast is published. But for you, how does the rest of the year look? It looks busy. Uh, from from uh, if I look at it from the today's perspective, uh, I, I still have some work in Egypt. I hope my team will reach uh, the quarterfinals, and then that means that I will stay another week in in Cairo. And then when I come home, uh, I believe I'm going to be just like a week or maybe ten days at home, and then I will go to another bubble in Pukljuka, which is a, a fantastic uh, plateau in the mountains in Slovenia near Bled. Uh, they host World Biathlon Championship, so I will work there for two weeks. Then the rest of the February will be, I, I hope, a little bit uh, less stressing. Uh, and then in March I go to the Olympic qualifying tournament in Berlin for handball, if the Olympics are on. And uh, a lot of work with the matches and, and uh, with news, uh, sport news, I hope uh, a lot of uh, reporting experience as well. Well, thank you for today. I wish you all the best for 2021, however that ends up looking. And of course, I wish your team uh, the greatest of success uh, in these handball championships. The, the, the stress part, uh, the, the stress is getting bigger and bigger. I, uh, I usually, um, we, we played, yeah, yeah, the last time we played two days ago, it was the early match and I was already nervous in the morning. Uh, and then I'm nervous until the, the, the match starts. And yet still you've managed to do this interview with me, so yeah, thank you. Yeah, no problem. No, no, today it's okay because it's the late match. I'm not yet nervous. <laughs> My thanks to Uros Volk from Val202 in Slovenia. Thanks too to Nuno Perluro from RTP Portugal, Arno Valadon from RMC and Per Kahl from Swedish Radio.